the Finley Toyota Studio, it's Cofield and Company. All right, here we go on a Monday. Cofield and Company. Willie Ramirez is here. He is the company. Big weekend to get to. Let's see how much Masters we get to. I'm surprised Willie didn't send that over. A whole bunch of stuff. That's your demo, man. That's your demo. You're uh, you're older than me. That's your demo. You on up is Masters crowd. I I thought about it afterwards, and I did watch yesterday a lot of it. Oh, you uh, did. I was at Look I was at you. I was at my uh, mom and stepdad's okay. for Easter, and that's if if there's a major on. Okay. Uh, it's it's kind of funny if I show up, and there's no major golf. They, they cater to what if I need to have something on, something we may be talking about, something I may be covering that week, whatever it may be. Um, but the Masters was on, and I sat down and watched it. I actually, I was interested in it. I was intrigued. Kepka's collapse. Um, wanted to see. I really did want Kepka to catch and and top uh, Phil Snitchelson, but he didn't. So that he tied for second for the second time in his career at the Masters. And um, but overall, it was it was, a, it was a good good match. How do you say it? Phil Snitchelson. Snitchelson. Yeah, you enjoyed the collapse. He's a rat. No, I didn't enjoy the collapse. I, I'm not. I mean, I'm not a Brooks Kepka hater, but no, I meant the the Phil collapse. Didn't Phil kind of fall apart? Well, he had a big he had a big final day. Yeah. He shot a 65 on the final day. Nice. So no, I would have been very you know, now. Now, if he was winning, I would I would have insisted that it had to have been turned off. I'm not going to watch that guy get a green jacket. I'm not going to watch him celebrate. I'm not. Can you imagine? That'd be one of the greatest stories in the history of golf. Yeah, no. Hey, you're right. He did kill it. Eight under. I didn't watch. Yeah. I think I made it obvious last week. I, I wasn't going to watch. Uh, not my cup of tea. As I get older, I get more bored by tennis and golf. I don't know what the deal. Everyone else is like, I think a lot of it, I feel like golf had this resurgence, maybe with people a little bit younger than me, with gambling during 2020. Mm-hmm. When COVID was going down, there was nothing else to play. There was no sports. You can get out there, golf, and be safe. And I don't know, man, it's taken off. And, and also, the other thing is, ga- sports gambling in general has now swept the country. So this is such, golf is the best gambling sport. So now it's, it's man, it's, I, I think the, the majors are as big as they've ever been. I don't, I don't know who plays golf. Do you know anyone who plays golf, actually plays golf? Yeah, I do. Do you? Not around here, but yeah. I mean, I know people that play golf. Yeah. Sure. But, uh, um, but, it, but it's, well, it's well, killing it, man. Okay, walking around with this chest bone. Uh, I uh, I also think that live has helped the uh, maybe think? the well. Know, on be- this show, we keep hearing from Adam Hill that it's a complete non-factor. So you think the competition between the well, I just think it's, it's, it, it, it being slammed into our into our face. The headlines. You know what I mean? I just think that it, it's it's being shoved down our throat. The whole storyline with live and and PGA and and who's going who's like you you're hearing about it so much. You're on so everybody's on social media, so so it's being shared. So we're hearing the names, we're seeing this. You know, now all of a sudden, oh, live golfers can golf it. So I just think that it's it's in our face so much. Yeah, you know. Um, well, you mentioned the other for the Masters. You mentioned the other thing. It is a holiday weekend. Yeah, that just passed. So Tiger was in it, but I, I don't really do, I don't really do these holidays. All right, do you do the holiday? No Passover. You're not a Passover. No, uh, I was up my, yesterday morning. My extended morning. family doesn't really do Passover either. We we got together, but we're not going to sit there and watch the Masters on TV in the background. No, we had we, some deli. Had some deli. It was good. We do we do Easter. Not and supposed then, to do it, but you know, they cheated. But so did I. Go ahead. Oh, they did. Your family did. Your second family. Extended, extended, extended family. family. Yeah. yeah, we do a, we do a specific a hard boiled egg cracking game. Okay. Uh, it's a it's a game that my grandfather did back where you hold the hard boiled egg in your hand like. You know, so it's enclosed, and you leave a tip at the top, and so each each one picks an egg, 
and you try to crack each other's, and you keep going around until somebody's left with a solid side or How two sides. How old is this game? Well, my Goes grandfather was doing it. Yeah, my grandfather was right. doing so. I mean, nice. fifty plus years. Yeah, the other thing I is, if you, if you have kids too, obviously these you know this weekend could be big. Well, so yeah. no kids, no golf, no kids, no golf. You just no rooting against Kepka, but I do like that he collapsed. So that was kind of cool. I tried to bet against him on Saturday, but uh, guy looks. I like didn't want to bet Rom. Rom was only I think I think they were through six Willie um, of the third round and. Kepka was like 160, Rom was plus 250. I'm like, ah, I'm going to take a shot on the long shots. Eh, no one, no one caught up. I Although was, I guess I would have been. I actually had the field at 33 to one, middle of Saturday. So I guess I should have been rooting for Mickelson. He was in the field. Yeah. I, well, he might not have been. I, don't know. I was doing up betting really, talk. I didn't even look down the list to see if Mickelson. I was up was really so far early out. typing and was on live when when. Masters announced and it came out Tiger was withdrawn and that piece over, overtook the national. I mean, you know, the, our national uh, network, whichever shows on. Is that a bigger story than the actual win, than Rom? No, I don't think so anymore because you kind of anticipate and wait. Maybe, maybe for a minute it was because it was on the last day and and people wanted to see him finish. But I don't think that I don't think it overtook the storyline of, of who who got the green jacket. All right, I'll give you two images that I saw, videos that I saw that were bigger for me than the winner. Like I said, I didn't watch. Um, one, I saw uh, Jack Nicholas teeing off early in the tournament. I was like, whoa, he got old. Like he's you know having a little trouble getting around, and you know, he's eighty three, I think now. Yeah. And then, honestly, Tiger in the rain. Walked with more difficulty than Nicholas did. That's sad. Yeah, I know there's a lot of Tiger haters out there, but to see a guy who's not old, why are the, they, this, why, this car why are crash? They tiger just, haters. This, why are there? Yeah, in oh, your in your eyes, up top of your head, uh, infidelity. It's the infidelity yeah. stuff. There's if not he, there's not a lot of women who are going to like Tiger Woods. Um, you know, as I pointed out last week, the buffoons at the Masters kind of. Jumped on Tiger and beat him up even more, you know, saying that he'd embarrass the club, which is unreal because they just let Saudi money go all over the course. So nice move, guys. Uh, listen, you understand. People think he's he's an unfaithful guy. Uh, he just had the, the what was the silly thing last week with the not last week two months ago with the tampons yeah. tampon gate. Mm-hmm. You know, he's talking about hitting the ball past uh, Justin Thomas. Well, people aren't going to give it up. And in Vegas, you know, he always had a reputation as kind of being a schnook, bad tipper. You like him, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent. I got nothing against him. I'd, I'd, I would much. I'm more on the side of forgiving what he's done off the golf course than I would a rat, federal rat. <laughs> Always getting the fill in there. Yeah, I don't think whatever big fan base that Phil had has kind of dissipated. He's a clown. Speaking you've, of Vegas. You, you've made that clear. The big Vegas news today yeah. was one of our hometown heroes, Julian Strother, Gonzaga kid. Could he go back? I'm sure. Could he make hundreds of thousands of dollars through NIL? Yes. Is he ready for the NBA, at least in the NBA's eyes? Probably. He was ready last year. He went to the Combine. Um, he was projected as a high or a low second-round pick. Um Decided to come back with Timmy. And you know what's funny is Mark Few obviously anticipated to see because we talked about this after the elite, after we saw the NC2A tournament in our face, right? Here at the T Mobile. 
Um, we discussed this on the air a few times in, in that, you know, there are those coaches who will bring in for exit interviews or end of the season interviews and say, hey, go in a different direction. It, it's going to behoove you to get into the transfer portal. Um, we talk a little bit about that, be it football, be it college basketball. I personally think that Mark Few did that. I mean, look at how many people are leaving Gonzaga. You didn't see that really last year um, because he knew who his stars were going to be. They knew, He knew what he was building around, being Timmy and uh, Strother. This year, they're losing a couple guys to the portal. Timmy's gone. Strother's gone. Um, you're going to see a rebuild at Gonzaga. And I'm telling you, dude. Yeah, it, I, it's, it's wild. I don't think it's going to be a rebuild. I think they are going to be freaking loaded. They, you're just, right. It's going to be a no, rebuild just, with new players. Yeah, 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 when yeah, we yeah, say yeah. rebuild is one thing, I think it's a reload. Reload. There's but a better. They're going to go better, into the yeah, portal, yeah, yeah. and they are going to pull out major players. And I think the right. guys who were leaving, honestly, yeah. I think they told them. That's what, yeah. I exactly. think they told them, you know what, you may be better off somewhere else. They, right. they brought in a big kid from LSU. I mean, he is massive. Uh, yeah. What was it, Efton Reed? And he's seven one, like 270. It's like, yeah, this is a good guy to build around now. I think they've got like three years left with him. He's gone. Uh, Hunter Salas, he's gone. And you're going to start – watch what starts to land at Gonzaga. I think Hunter Salas – I think it makes perfect sense. Hunter Salas is an Omaha-Nebraska native. Ryan Nemhard. So you're going to have a trade? At Creighton. Almost just do a trade. Right. Nemhard Nem- Nemhard's in. Why not bring him in? He brings him in and says, Hunter, listen. Blah, blah, blah. You're going to go. Creighton. Now bring Nemhard in. He takes over at the point. Hunter just goes over to Creighton. He's back in his hometown. And we think Strother's going to go first round. He does at least. You think the family believes he's a first rounder? No, I think that there. I think there. There are mock drafts out there that have him high first round or low for however you want to look at it. High number meaning in the twenties. Um, I think if you were to sit there and average out, you know, out of sixty picks and and take let's say ten respected mock drafts, it's probably going to average out to very near the end of the first or at the beginning of the second. Um, he'll get decent money. I, I think that his his uh, I think what he did last year at the combine helps and carries over. I think what he's done this year, obviously the big shot here in Vegas. I mean they're not just going off of one shot, but they've seen his capabilities um, when he decides to take over a game. Um, I think that they also know how Mark Few coaches in that he everything runs through one person. So there are times where Julian and other guys on that team passed off, didn't necessarily take. You know, take advantage of the opportunities they have because the play was drawn up a different way. But I think that they, I think, I think all the NBA scouts, I think all the NBA teams know what Julian Strother is capable of, and I think that he he could be a first round draft pick. But I think he, you know, most likely is going to be somewhere near the top five of the second round. Yeah, well, you know the deal. He's old. Yeah, that's the crazy part, right? He's old. He's old. I do know that he. Uh, and he's I, not, but that's the way they. That's the way Americans are treated. The the third and fourth year guys are old, and a lot of times, especially at the end of the first round, you got draft and stash. So there's so many international players who are just as good or better prospects than current collegians. One of the good things, um, if 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 all things went as according to plan, he uh, he was going down to Orlando, I believe. Uh, as the season concluded, to hang out with his boy Jalen Suggs, and then came he's back in Vegas for about a week, if that, and then he's going to head to L.A. and do off-season training with Jalen Suggs. So he's going to be doing some NBA training, you know, uh, in and around, doing some workout with some NBA players, and then he'll get ready. 
um, I would imagine for the combine again and put and go for any workouts and then um, his agent his agency who you know they'll advise him whether to go to New York or he'll do a watch party here. So can you believe we're sitting here with four days left in the NHL season? Mark Stone has missed significant time. Jack Eichel wasn't healthy for a decent part of the season. The goalie situation has been crazy, rotating four and five goalies. Can you believe we're sitting here with VGK in control of their own destiny? As the number one seed in the West. Yeah, two Cup. games left this week. Home Kraken at Kraken. Uh, tonight will determine a lot as the uh, Oilers are taking on the Avs. Oilers two points behind VGK. Avs three points behind VGK. It's pretty impressive. I know Bruce Cassidy. I know uh, Butchie's not going to win Coach of the Year. What is that, the Jack Adams? He's yes. not going to win Coach of the Year. But outside of the misfits here, this is the best coaching job we've seen in the short history of the uh, Vegas Golden Knights, right? Uh, year one was insane. After that, last year was uh, I would rank last year up there. The year that they didn't make the playoffs, really? Yes, because we it, in the last two weeks of the season we were still talking about the Golden Knights possibly making the playoffs. So it took one hell of a job by Peter DeBoer to shuffle a lineup. You just talked about Mark Stone missing significant time. Eichel at some point missed some time. Yes, they've been they've missed some guys here and there, but last year was it was just a disaster with what they had to, to work with. Goaltending included, when Leonard, he had no clue with what was going on with Leonard. He was playing injured, apparently, playing with half of a shoulder, tendons, keeping his joints together, you know, not knowing who's, who, who, I mean, who should be in net, and Logan Thompson starting for the first time ever. So I thought Peter DeBoer did a fantastic job to keep the Golden Knights in playoff contention last year, so he did a great job. What I find fascinating is you mentioned Cassidy, mm. but the number one team in the entire league is Boston, and oh, where did he come from last year? So I mean, the t the the two top teams in the NHL, the Golden Knights and the Bruins, the tie-in, right? You got Jim Montgomery for the for the Bruins, who probably will win the Jack Adams Award. I would imagine he he he's he's a at least up there as a front runner. Um. Brenda Moore is always going to be mentioned. Uh, let's go back to Edmonton, Colorado. They play tonight. Here's the thing. Vegas may have 107 points. Edmonton, 105. Colorado, 104. Winner of tonight's game might be the best team in the West. Listen to Cofield and Company on the Press Box all week long for your chance to win tickets for BattleBots Destructathon Sunday, April 23rd at the BattleBots Arena or purchase your tickets at BattleBots.com slash tickets. That was the voice of uh, Matt Miller, who's doing uh, draft analysis, formerly uh, Bleach Report. He's doing draft analysis with ESPN. He was on this weekend on ESPN National right here on ESPN Las Vegas with our own Q Myers, who's over on Raider Nation Radio 920. Can you keep track of all that? A lot of places, right? A lot of places. But uh, Miller on the way in there, talking about a guy that we started mentioning about three, four weeks ago, and by we, I mean Adam Hill. Uh, Adam thought that, hey, that's the, the guy the Raiders, if they can't get Stroud or Bryce Young at the top of the draft, that's the guy they're interested in, but that would have been with a second-round pick. And unfortunately, now, as you heard Matt Miller say, the name of Hendon Hooker is heating up big time, so there's a good chance he may be the fifth guy taken in the first round at the quarterback position or could go well before the Raiders have their pick 
in the second round. Interesting prospect. We were talking about him a lot on Friday. Played at Tennessee, tours ACL, so that's a pretty quick ACL turnaround. Um, he's also old. He's 25 years old. So, I think you've been saying it the whole time that the defense needs work. Yes. And when you have the number seven pick in the draft, ideally, I think what you'd like to see is move back a little bit, get an extra good pick, and continue to build the defense. I saw you uh, had sent over, is this Adam's story here? A uh, a big list of national people. Yeah, Adam on the story in the RJ. A sampling of what people have the Raiders taking yeah. with that number seven pick. And it is almost all defense. It was. And uh, the one guy I think is just trolling. Pete Prisco is kind of a troll from no, CBS. He's a good, yeah. a knowledgeable football guy, but a little bit Looking for troll. clicks. Yeah. I, yeah, when I opened up He's Adam's got Will story, Levis, by the way, going to the Raiders. Yeah, when I Adam, uh, opened up Adam's story, the first one, two, three per- people were offense. I was like, offense, 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 um, okay. And I originally was going to send it, but who are these experts? But then the rest of them are defensive players that they're looking to pick up. And I agree with you. You know, it's, it's, it's what I've been saying. You went out and you grabbed Jimmy Garoppolo. You signed Brian Hoyer. I mean, you, you have – in your mind, I, I would imagine Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler, they have guys that know the Patriot system, which is what they want. They've they brought in a multitude of, of players, coaches now, again, this offseason, that know the Patriot system. At this point, I don't think a big-name quarterback or, or moving up to get somebody, and you just keep pressing that issue, you're, you're getting away from what you need. And you're trying to stick too much and force the issue with what you know, supposedly, in that being offense. And I just um, – I think that they need to focus on that defense and stay there. Now, if you want to grab some more picks – I mean, they got a ton of picks this year. So, um, see what's left and grab somebody. But they're not going to get their starting quarterback. The only way that they're going to get their starting quarterback – and that's still not a guarantee because we've seen quarterback busts in the past mm-hmm. – is if they trade up to get the number one or number two pick, and it's still not well, they guaranteed. Could trade up. They could trade up to the three or four. Right, but what I'm saying is if you're going to trade up that far, then what did you go out and get Jimmy Garoppolo and sign Brian Hoyer for? I mean, get a top defensive player. Get the best prospect available when the seventh pick comes around. Build that dang defense. Build a defense that has faltered down the stretch. Yes, Derek Carr and Josh McDaniels didn't see eye to eye, and they and the chemistry wasn't there, whatever the case is. But you had some of the top targets, and this team before McDaniels got here, the question has always been, how come they can't hold leads? Yes, the offense can't sustain drives in the second half, and they faltered. But same token, you're you're not you're, if the offense can't stay on the field, and the, the opposite team is making adjustments and getting them off the field. Your defense is getting tired. You need to build a stronger defense, and I think that that's what he needs to focus on. Flip flop these cuts. Uh, Q Myers, our buddy over on Raider Nation Radio nine twenty, was on with Kay Adams, uh, formerly of the NFL Network, and they were talking about Raiders having some flexibility and maybe could be aggressive enough with five picks in the top 109 to move up. It depends on who's actually there at number three. And this is a discussion we've had quite a bit. And it's really coming down to, from everything I've heard, if C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young happens to be there at number three, which I don't think is going to happen, for those two guys is available at number three, I think there's a real possibility that the Raiders go make a move for him. Outside of him or Stroud and, and, and Young, I don't think that they will because there's so many other holes that they have to fill, mainly on the defensive side of things. So basically what you just said. So if they're titillated by Stroud or Young – 
sitting there at three or four. Maybe they can move up. Um, I don't think they'll be there at three and four. I think they'll go number one and two. And then on Hooker, here's Miller with a little more on Hendon Hooker. Uh, listen to this and you know try to judge if he's worth, say he gets to the bottom of the first round, he's early second, Raiders really like him. Now they get a chance to move back into the first or move up in the second. Is uh, Miller convincing enough here with Hendon Hooker? You have to pull the traits out of the system. Uh, I would say you got to do the same thing for C.J. Stroud at Ohio State. you got to pull the player out of the system. Okay, what are your individual talents? What are you good at? I see Hendon Hooker as an elite deep ball thrower, great at making quick decisions, which that up-tempo spread makes you do. you got to make quick decisions. Sure, he's not making full field reads, but he's doing enough pre-snap to get his guys in the right situation and to determine, hey, where am I going to go? Coverage looks like this. Here's my matchup. Boom, we're going there. So there's a good chance that uh, Stroud and Young are gone at the very top of the draft. Raiders don't move up, and then maybe they think about moving down in the first, and that hooker could be gone by the 24th or 25th pick. And as he slips a little bit, the Raiders have to judge, hey, is it worth the price to move back into the first for a 25-year-old, as Willie said, to play behind Jimmy Garoppolo for at least a year, maybe two? Uh, I'm not in favor of grabbing a quarterback in this draft unless – uh, you know, like we've said five times now, like Hugh just said, it's Stroud or Young becoming available at three or four. Keep it locked right here. Cofield and company will return in minutes on ESPN Las Vegas. Rolling into the second half of uh, hour number one here. Big week on the way. Willie Ramirez is in as the company. Steve Cofield, ESPN Las Vegas. Ari is with us. Interesting start to the baseball season. I saw the Rays matched up against the A's. <laughs> Three-game series, two 11-0 shutouts, and a 9-5 win, 31-5. Is this a quadruple-A team we're dealing with here? I mean, we like to see a lot of the guys move up from our triple-A affiliate, but my lord. You're not even competitive at the start of the season against the Rays, and maybe the Rays are the best team in all of baseball, but that that's embarrassing. It's it's it. They're two and seven, and it's it's not just those losses, Steve. They've given up eleven or more runs in four of their games at home against the Angels and the Indians. Gave up thirteen one game, twelve another. So yeah, they better figure something out with their pitching. Mike Monaco's with us. Calls hockey games for ESPN. He's with Willie. He's with Cofield. We're getting ready for the uh, final run here this week in the NHL and the playoffs. Mike, how you doing, buddy? Hey, fellas. Doing great, thanks. Uh, got a Blackhawks wild tonight in nice. Chicago, South Vegas over the weekend. Uh, like you guys just said, playoffs around the corner. Life is good. So, before we get to the NHL, I'm going to have uh, all of us flex our sports talk chops off the cuff here. We were just getting to... What's going on with the Oakland A's? I'm sure you're uh, watching it like a lot of people are around the country. Um, the potential of the A's moving to Las Vegas, Major League Baseball landing here in Vegas. And this weekend was kind of interesting because Oakland stinks. Tampa's awesome. Tampa also has stadium issues. You know what, Mike? I'll take Tampa. How about that? If someone <laughs> wants to move, we want the Rays. Because i got to tell you, the A's coming here, it might be a big deal for about four or five years. But if they suck, man, they're not going to draw here either. Yeah, you know what? Uh, the last couple years, I've been fortunate enough to cover both teams uh, just with Major League Baseball calling games. And uh, I'll say this about the Rays, to, to your guys' point. Like, year after year, 
they continue to just impress. And you don't really know how they're doing it in the offseason until you look up and whatever month of the season it is, they're in great shape. Uh, was talking with Red Sox manager Alex Cora at spring training, and he was like, you know, they probably made a bunch of moves in the offseason that we didn't even notice. And at this time, you wouldn't even know how big of moves they're going to end up being. Uh, but that's what the Rays do, and they're probably going to do it year after year. Uh, and regardless of location, I'm sure that's how they will be run. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it also it, – it's got to be depressing for a lot of owners who have kind of sold this bill of goods that the small markets can't compete. And, you know, Oakland kind of looks like it can't compete, but the Rays don't have a lot of money either, but they're just brilliant. I, I'll give you the biggest thing, and I'm sure you went a little deeper with Cora than, you know, he didn't know the moves. A lot of it is their ability to uh, take pitchers who – may have been a little underdeveloped or underappreciated in other organizations, and then add them, the Springs kid. Uh, people are expecting big things from Eflin. It's just amazing what they do with pitchers from other organizations. Yeah, it, it really is. And and I'll, I'll go with those two guys that you mentioned. And just in my duties uh, calling Boston Red Sox games, like as it relates to Springs, he was a guy during the 2020 season for the Red Sox who was one of many kind of cast-off pitchers that they cycled through in that season when the Red Sox, quite frankly, were terrible that year. And then you look up, and Springs is now this, you know, capital D dude for the Rays. He's cashing in whatever he got, almost, I think, $70 million maybe up to with whatever his contract was. And, yeah, injury notwithstanding, like, they have turned him into a guy. And then Zach Eflin, like, the Red Sox reportedly in the offseason offered him a very comparable deal to what the Rays did. And, hey, I, I don't blame a guy in Zach Eflin for wanting to go to the Rays and what they do with um, pitching staff and their pitching coach. Kyle Snyder's been doing this for a while, too. So I think he deserves, you know, a, a ton of the credit, too, not just their manager, Kevin Cash, who, who obviously deserves a lot and rightly so gets a lot of credit. Nice job. Very nice job, Mike Monaco, coming into the show, blending in, uh, off the cuff, talking baseball. Let's get to hockey. <laughs> um so the Bruins have had a monster season. Uh, you look around the East. Give me the teams that are dangerous to the Bruins that could actually stop Boston from challenging for the Cup and making the final. Really interesting. I mean, last year they played such a good series with Carolina, and I would say that I feel that way about Carolina again this year, if not for their injuries over the last you know month or so. Um, it's really tough what, what the Canes have gone through. Andre Svechnikov, their young all-star, um, they lose him to a torn ACL. They lose Max Pacioretty, who, of course, I don't need to explain his value to you guys. Um, and to, to suffer the same torn Achilles again on sort of a, a non-contact type of play, that's crushing for Carolina. I really like the Devils, um, and I like what they added with Timo Meyer, obviously at the deadline, the biggest piece out there. Jack Hughes is sensational. I've covered him a few times. Um, I think there's, you know, the Rangers I like, Toronto I like. Uh, if I'm a Lightning fan, I'm worried right now. So I guess I, I'd go with those three, Devils, Rangers, and Toronto. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the Bruins are, as, as the youngsters say, they're a wagon. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's going to take a Herculean effort, I think, to take them out in the series. Yeah, they have not lost to a team twice this season, if I'm not mistaken. Um, well, Correction. I believe uh, the Senators actually tripped them up, uh, which is wild, and, the, and Ottawa <laughs> will not be going to the playoffs. And Florida uh, got them, but for the most part, they have dominated every series. So um, I, I'd like to get your thoughts on the Rangers, because they keep hanging around in the Metropolitan Division. That division isn't necessarily wrapped up just yet, although Carolina is on the brink of 
of locking it up. New Jersey has had a decent run. The Rangers early on. All three teams in that particular division have looked dominant, yet Carolina was the team that came into the regular season favored to win the Eastern Conference before Boston went on this tear. But, uh, you know, Gerard Gallant's been right there, and, and the Rangers were in the Eastern Conference final, and they're going to be hungry to get back there. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, I, I'm sitting here in Chicago right now, and, like, the thought was initially with Patrick Kane, after they traded for Vladimir Tarasenko, the Rangers did, that there was no more room. And, and Kane certainly even himself thought that was the case. Like, the way he spoke in the aftermath of the Tarasenko deal – indicated that he thought that door closed. And then they go out and they get Patrick Kane, and that's another piece, and they've had time to blend him in, and you always hear in the NHL, hey, it's going to take 20 games for a new acquisition or a new piece to kind of figure things out, and for the team to figure out how that sits. I'm with you. I think the Rangers are great. And you talk about Igor Shosturkin, like that is one of the great pieces in a playoff, that if you have that, um, like, look at the Islanders. I mean, Ilya Sorokin is that good also. Yeah. And, you know, he's been the trump card in terms of the Eastern Conference wild card that, that no one else has a goalie like that. Um, so just, yeah, back to the Rangers. I think they're well-built. They've got a ton of pieces. And, yeah, a lot of talk was about Carolina coming into the year and then in that division. Uh, and a lot of the talk in the conference and in the league, to your point, has been about the Bruins. But, yeah, I- I'm with you. I like the Rangers a lot going into next week. Speaking with ESPN's Mike Monaco, you can catch him on tonight's broadcast, Chicago and Minnesota. Let's go to the Central Division where the Minnesota Wild, again, another division where it's not wrapped up yet. Colorado 104, Dallas 102, Minnesota 100. It was just a week and a half ago. The Wild were here in Las Vegas, and Minnesota and Vegas were vying for the number one seat in the Western Conference. Now Minnesota is... Uh, you know, hoping to they're in third place in, in the central. That is a wild division. Got Colorado and Edmonton tonight. I personally, Mike, I know Vegas has the most points in the West, but I think Edmonton or Colorado, the winner of that game, I mean, realistically, we could argue that one of those two teams is the best in the West. I think you can argue that for sure. And that's not to throw any shade at Vegas. Um, I think Vegas is a complete team. Um, and I think they're a really scary team. But yeah, you want to talk scary, like, Colorado, the way they're going right now, McKinnon's been hot uh, over the last month or so. Um, Rantanen, you know, you know what you have in him. And then, of course, Edmonton, right? Like, who really trusts themselves going up against McDavid and Dreisaitl as well? I like what they did, obviously, at the deadline with Matthias Ekholm. Um, yeah, I, and the Central is really interesting to me um, because it is such a big difference between winning the division in the Central, and again, as you said, they're separated by four points, and facing one of the wild card teams versus, you know, if you're Minnesota and you got to go up against Dallas and a really good team, uh, I just saw them over the weekend, of course, in the Vegas game. You got to deal with Jake Ottinger uh, in that series as well. I think that's a really, really big difference. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's kind of how the West has been all year. It's been really tight, and it's what, nine points? I think, separating the the seven Western teams that have already clinched. And, you know, we say this every single year. Um, it's, it's not about who wins the President's Cup. It's usually never about the number one seed. It's about who's got the hot goaltender and the seeds you least expect, the lower seeds you least expect to climb up there. How dangerous are these Seattle Kraken? Uh, they're dangerous, but so I love their depth scoring in terms of, you know, what they – it really similar – to the Golden Knights in a lot of ways. And I think they're really the top two teams when I think of depth scoring in the league and whatever it is, numbers-wise, double-digit goal scores, that sort of thing. 
I worry a little bit that they don't have the same caliber of star power at the very top end. And then you talk about goaltending, and, you know, I think that's a, a little bit concerning. Had them a couple of week, weeks ago and talked to their head coach, Dave Haxtall, and, yeah, he said, like, we don't know right now who the number one goalie is, whether it's Jones or Grubauer. And so to, to piggyback off what you're just saying right there about hot goaltending regardless of seed and a team that makes a run, that, that's not to say that they can't do it and disqualifying. Um, but in terms of the star power and the premier goalie, that I think would be the, the two knocks on Seattle. But, I mean, hey, it, you know, they've had a wonderful season and the turnaround from what they did in year one to now what they've done in year two is pretty special. We got time for a couple more real quick. Mike Monaco from ESPN, play-by-play guy. So, Mike, let's let's talk about the local team here, Vegas, right? 107 points. They're they're battling for the Western Conference lead. No Mark Stone. Eichel has seen some injury time. They're down Shea Theodore. Now Zach Whitecloud's on the shelf, and the goalie situation has been absolutely crazy. Can this team win the Stanley Cup in spite of the goalie situation? I think they can because they've got so many options to choose from. And I think someone could get hot. That's not to say they will. That's not to say they're the favorite. And even if they do get all the way to the Cup, let's say you are going up against Boston and that Chalk holds in the East, that's going to be a mountain, like we talked about, to get past the Bruins. Um, But I love the way they're constructed. Uh, Cassidy told us pregame Saturday, we don't anticipate anything serious. That was his words to us on Eichel. You know, lower body injury is what he told us, so I'm not concerned there. They've been kind of figuring out the line combinations over the last few weeks, and I think that's a luxury that they've been able to, hey, even Saturday, yeah, you lose in a shootout, but you get a point, you experiment a little bit with lines, you get Eichel some rest. Um, Yeah, goaltending is is the big one for me, and like it is for everyone. That's not breaking any news, but um, I mean, Brossois has been really good. Can he carry that off into the playoffs, a, a place where he does not have experience before he's never started a game in the playoffs before um and can anyone come back healthy in time to give you any sort of confidence that you could go to them in a playoff series yeah that's the big question one more before we let you go mike i'll never forget zach white clouds for uh nhl debut he had afterwards in edmonton he walks into the locker room and his locker is right next to who Mark Andre Fleury. How cool for Brock Faber. He plays in the national championship on Saturday, and he's in morning skate with, you posted a picture, standing in front of Mark Andre Fleury. He'll make his debut tonight. Got to be pretty awesome for this kid. Yeah, yeah. How cool is that? Minnesota kid plays for the University of Minnesota, like you just said, Saturday night. They unfortunately for them lose in the national championship game in overtime. He told us today, I was chatting with him at his locker in the dressing room, at 5.30 a.m. was when he got back to his apartment yesterday. Slept till 11. Didn't know that, that the signing had come official. He was sleeping when the signing became official and got announced. Wow. That he was officially signing his three-year contract. And then the team charter to Chicago was at 3.30 p.m. So all of that happens in, in what? From the time he gets home till the time the, the plane takes off uh, in a 10-hour span. And, yeah. Here he is today in a in a locker room with with Flurry, and he's going to be playing against Jonathan Tate tonight. Mike, we appreciate it. Thanks for squeezing us in. Have fun today. Yeah, my my pleasure, guys. Anytime. Happy to do it. Thanks for having me. There he is one of the voices of hockey on ESPN. Mike Monaco, like you said a couple times there, Minnesota and Chicago going at it, and the uh, the favorite kid making his debut in that one. It'll be uh, six o'clock puck drop our time on. Big ESPN. 364-1100, caller 7364-1100. BattleBots. We got two tickets for 
Sunday, the 23rd, BattleBots Destructathon. Thursdays through Sundays is when the show goes down. BattleBots Arena, that's right there across from Ellis Island, before, uh, behind the uh, newly minted, in terms of name, Horseshoe. You can get your tickets at BattleBots.com slash tickets, but Ari's got a pair right now for the Sunday, the 23rd show. The shows go down Thursdays through Sundays, 3, 6, 4, 1100. Follow the guys on Twitter at Steve Cofield and at Willie G. Ramirez or tweet the show at Cofield and Co. Willie, across the way, Cofield, Ari, steering the ship here. Good spot there from Mike Monaco, who's going to be on uh, NHL game tonight on ESPN Chicago and Minnesota. More hockey coming up later on. we got VGK for two games this week, in town, out of town, both matchups against Seattle. And then we're all set for the playoffs and the seeds. There's a bunch going on this weekend. A lot of shows, obviously, uh, holidays for different people. UNLV football had their spring showcase over their spring practice over at Allegiant. So about 30 new guys in, a bunch of guys out. I have a feeling more are going to be leaving as they'll be looking to get playing time elsewhere. You know, you kind of get an idea in the spring game if you have a good chance to be in the ones and the twos. That said, I don't take the, the spring games too seriously. I think there's certain things at work that they're trying to get done. Any impressions? Um, mine was my the initial is on uh Maeva. Can't why is his first name escaping me? Jade Jade, Jade, Jade Maeva. Jade Maeva yep. from uh Liberty. Yep. You know, as you said, you, you can't take too much of it. I think serious, but what you can read is body language and poise because you are still getting out there on the field. The anticipation for a spring showcase, there are about 500 fans in the stands, and and you're putting everything on display as to what you've learned the previous five, six weeks. And I just felt from, from a poise perspective, to start, I thought he'd look the best out of all the quarterbacks. Now, eventually, I think nerves caught up with everybody, and, and the defense just overwhelmed the offense, and they caught up with him and started reading him better. But for the most part... I thought he looked fantastic, and that's what I took from it. You know, I, I thought uh, Dougie B probably could have looked better. He looked better at the end. I, I you know, at the at the fi- uh, Barry Odom treated that final drive like a game time decision and waited to the very end to call a timeout as time was draining. But in the one thing that I didn't, I wasn't going to bother asking him this in the scrum because I'm not reporting on it. But if you notice on that final drive, and there was no contact to the quarterbacks. When he got when they got inside that ten and closer, you and I both know there would have been at least one drawn up play where he would have wildcatted and he would have kept it or draw uh, run himself or You're maybe Brumfield, yeah, yeah and put his legs to work. He never did that, but for the most part, he didn't lead a drive to a touchdown. He had two scoring drives, both were field goals. So um, it's a little telling for that part. Uh, Harrison Bailey was what it was. You, it's funny. Well, what does you, that mean? I'm, I'm curious what you're saying there. I, I just don't think that I didn't see anything better than I saw last year. I don't know what to judge of him yet, and I don't know where he's going to fit into this offense. I, I don't know. I think that it, it looks to me as if Mayava could uh, – pronounce it for yeah. me. Jaden Mayava. Mayava. Yeah. That he's in a good position to take the two spot behind uh, Dougie yeah. B. I think it's still his – I don't think that like the spring showcase showed anything as far as Mayava taking over. I think it's Brumfield's job. But I think as far as a backup is concerned, if if this kid continues to improve the way he's doing and the next four weeks you're going to be in the weight room, they all put on some weight and some size, 
And I'll tell you another takeaway I had in a second. I think that he can clearly get the number two uh, spot, and I don't know where Harrison Bailey's going to fall on this. Well, it's important because last year when Brumfield went down the two and they tried a couple of different guys, they weren't ready. That's right. Now, Bailey looked more ready as time went along. Right. You know, he looked – he looked a little better in the Notre Dame game, but he, he ran a lot and got positive yards, but I think a lot of that was still because the offense wasn't clicking for him. Yeah. So we'll see how quickly he can pick up this offense. I mean, if you're building a roster, Willie, uh, Brumfield is clearly your number one based on the play last year. Uh, your number two, uh, you know, if we're just, hey, who's better? Right now, Harrison Bailey's probably a little bit better than Maiava, but Maiava's also a redshirt freshman, and Bailey's been at a couple of different stops, so he doesn't have as many options. So you kind of have to consider your roster building. They want to keep – Jaden Maiava around. So that's he gets a lot of practices I went to, and I went to like 10 of the 14. Mm-hmm. He's out there a lot. Uh, Bailey's in there a good bit. You know, like, and I was, you know, people were saying over the weekend, at least one listener, hey, can someone steal the job away from Brumfield? No one's going to steal the job yeah. away from Brumfield. He's the one. But um, they're better in the quarterback room than they've been for a long time because I think Cam Friel is a reliable backup. And right now, he appears to be sitting in the four slot. Yeah. So that's, yeah. that's a pretty good four. Now, he is he going to stay around? We'll see. I, I tell you what, I did notice. Um, when they drop back, Brumfield drops back, tap, tap, look, tap, tap, check down, tap, tap. Uh, Baeva had the quickest release out of all of them, in yeah. my opinion. He's Quick. Got a, he's got a big arm. Yeah. So very confident in his throws. Yeah. Um, yeah um, and I want to mention one more thing. Yeah. You know, we always talked about in the old system, you know, you're trying to run a lot of bubble screens, right? And yeah. Nevada did that as well as anyone. Uh, Fresno did it really well with Carson Strong a couple of years ago. The reason the bubble screens work is the ball is where it's supposed to be. It's not high. It's not low. It's not behind. You know, it's in front, so you're almost – it's a running play. You're in motion. And, man, UNLV had some trouble getting the ball out there the last couple of years. You know, good, clean throws when they want to do screens out to the side. And Maiav is one of those guys. He can do that. Now, again, he's not taking the job from Brumfield. We're just talking about some of the young guys yeah. who impressed. Who else? Or what else did you want to talk about the uh, the, the weight department? The yeah, department? just the one thing that stood out when I was walking behind the the defensive side, um, and I was walking from one end to the other, and I just noticed the size of the guys. From when we were out there at the Shrine Game, when we were at the Notre da- when Notre Dame played BYU, we were at the Las Vegas Bowl. Those guys are so much bigger. Like I, I I'm interested to see this weight program because it's also going to be nutrition as well. Yeah. They're going to have to feed those muscles. So I, hopefully that they're they're going to put some size on by the start of the fall schedule. Well, you need some mass up front when you're playing a three-three-five. They're going to need some versatility too when they go to uh, you know a smaller pass rush defensive line. Uh, Jalen Dixon's going to be a real key in that one. So a lot more to talk about. Yeah. You know, there were mistakes. Uh, the positive was though the defensive backs looked tremendous. They got five or six interceptions, and man, I can't wait to see Jacob De Jesus, who was wearing seven yesterday. I think he might be twenty-seven. He's all of what five-six and about one hundred and seventy-five pounds. But man, he is fast. Um, good hands. He's an explosive guy, and I don't know that they've had that guy, you know, in the flat who can take something, you know, 25, 30 yards plus. They got it now.